0: maybe the question should be raised what are we looking for when we look into our hearts and in short we are making sure that our life is sin free and we have a clear and open relationship with others now i had some health issues as you know in april but before that in february i had another one and the, um, my physician was concerned. She says, uh, I went for my annual blood tests, and she said, did you know that you're a borderline diabetic? And the year before, she said, well, I don't think you'll ever have trouble with that. And uh, And I know diabetics, you don't want to get into that. Because if you can prevent it, because, you well, amputations, like was mentioned this morning, can come from that. You can lose eyesight and various issues. So she, she said, would you be willing to do some things to see if you can ward this off? I said, sure. And one of those was to lose weight and other things. And she wanted me to come back in, February, in, in May to do a recheck. And she also wanted me to go see a dietitian at the hospital. And so it took a while to get set up with this dietitian at the hospital. In fact, before I had the appointment with the dietitian, I went back to the clinic in May and uh, did a recheck. And they said, you dropped dramatically. And they were just rejoicing. And they said, whatever you're doing, keep it up. So I thought, well, maybe I don't need to go see this dietitian after all. But I said, well, I'm probably better. Anyway, it drug out till July, till I got an appointment with her. So I went and sat down and of course she wanted to know what my eating habits were. and and things like that. She proceeded to tell me that once you get to the age 70, you need to make sure that your protein is increased. And then she was talking to me in the vein of my test in February that if you're a borderline diabetic, how the natural sugars and regular sugars, how your body reacts to that, if you drink orange juice, that's bad because your body cannot in distinguish between natural sugar and regular sugar. And this is on, of course, on the basis of somebody that's on the verge or that is a diabetic. So I said, "Hold on, Let, let's stop right here. Let, I got a question for you." I said. If you were forced to drink orange juice or a Mountain Dew, which would you drink? And she said, neither. She said, they're both equally bad, far as the way your body assimilates it. And of course, I was thinking she would say orange juice. She said, no, they're equally bad. So, and that's the way we view sin at times. We think one sin is better than the other one. But they're equally bad as far as keeping us out of heaven. The sin of fornication and adultery is is bad, we would all agree. And we would agree that it's worse than lying because... It has to do with relationships, one flesh, and all that. But they're equally bad. Revelation says there will no be one. In heaven, there's not going to be anybody that loveth or maketh a lie. They're equally bad. So, in preparation for this message, I was... Trying to look for a good definition of sin. We, we know what sin is, and we, we've heard all kinds of definitions. And I was reading in uh, J.C. Wanger's book, Introduction to Theology, and um, he gave a concise overview of sin. And this is what he says He said, In the Bible, sin is regarded as a transgression, any transgression, or lack of conformity to the holy will and nature of God. Okay, And the basic cause of being is the lack of a perfect love for God. I thought that's interesting. That it's a lack of love for God is the root of all sin. And he goes on to say that sin may consist of deeds, thoughts, attitudes, and a, a character. So viewing sin... Let's back up a bit. Viewing sin as a lack of love can be put this way. Sin is any failure to love God and man with a perfect heart. Which lack of love leads to attitudes, deeds which are displeasing to God. So for a background uh, scripture, I'd like to go back to in the Old Testament to Ezekiel chapter 33. If you can turn with me to Ezekiel 33. In this account, we have God calling a watchman to the children of Israel because they were a disobedient and a wicked people, not all of them, but a lot of them. And they were, and this was a warning, and, and he had a watchman to watch, watch for their lives, watch for their souls. And the truths that God is speaking here is was for the old testament. Uh, the children of Israel. He was speaking to them, but the same basic underlying truths are still true for us today. I said God is just and God is fair. He was just and fair with the children of Israel, and he will be just and fair with you and me today. So I would like to read Ezekiel 33, breaking in at verse 11 to verse 20. This is God speaking to the watchman to watch to warn Israel and this is what he and he was speaking here and he's telling the watchman in verse 11 say unto them as I live saith the Lord I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked and that was true in the old testament and it's still true today God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked In fact, that is why he sent his only begotten son to to save us, that the wicked don't have to perish. But the wicked, okay, but that the wicked turn from their way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Therefore the Son of Man say unto the children of thy people, the righteous of the righteousness shall not deliver him in the day of his righteousness as the wicked and the wickedness of the wicked he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness, neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sinneth. when us shall say unto the righteous shall he he surely live, if he trust to his own righteousness and commit iniquity, his righteousness shall not be remembered, but for his iniquity that he hath committed, he shall die for it. Again, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, if he turn from his sin, and do that which is lawful and right. If the wicked restore the pledge, give again the he hath robbed. Walk in the statutes of life without committing iniquity. He shall surely live, and he shall not die. None of his sins that he hath committed shall be mentioned unto him. And he he hath done that is lawful and right. He shall surely live. Yet the children of my people say, the way of the Lord is not equal. But for but as for them, their way is not equal. When the righteous turneth from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, he shall even die thereby. But if the wicked turn from his wickedness and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live thereby. Ye, Yet ye say, the way of the Lord is not equal. O ye house of Israel, I will judge everyone after his ways. <clears throat> And so, this was God's message to the children of Israel. And these truths are what God wants for his people today. He has no pleasure, as it says, in the death of the wicked. And a person's righteousness in the past will not deliver him. Notice that. It's what you are currently doing today. God says that the uh, righteous, and what the problem is, notice, well, I'm sorry, in verse 12, it says, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day that he turns from his righteousness and does wickedness. He goes on to say in verse 13, When I say to the righteous, he shall surely live if he trusts in his own righteousness. And I think that is the first error in this person. He is trusting in his own righteousness. And notice what happens when he trusts in his own righteousness. Apparently, he he begins to commit iniquity. See, he's not careful in his life. He's trusting in the the good things he's done in the past. And he said, okay, I'm in pretty good shape. And he gets careless. And then he begins to commit iniquity. And God says that his righteousness shall not be remembered. It doesn't matter if he served God for 40 years. It will not be remembered because of his current iniquity. And he shall die. Now he takes a look at the wicked and he says I say unto the wicked thou shalt surely die and if he turns from his sin and does that which is lawful and right we see what it says here. Well let me back up about trusting in our own righteousness. In Romans 10:3 it says, "For being ignorant of God's this is New Testament teaching, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness but not have committed themselves unto the righteousness of God." So in verse 15, This is still talking about the wicked. And so when the wicked decides to turn from their wicked ways and turn toward God and do what's lawful and right, notice what the wicked does. It says that he restores the pledge. Uh, A pledge was something that uh, was stolen and he returns it. For restitution. And another thing he does. He gives again what he had robbed. In other words he's going back into his. He's digging back. The wicked is digging back into his past life. And he's making restitution in those areas. Because he is turning toward God in righteousness. Then notice the third thing in verse 15. He walks in the statutes of life that God has given him. Notice that. He he restores the pledge. He restores what he robbed. And then he walks in the statutes of righteousness without committing iniquity. And God said he will surely live and not die. In verse 16, isn't, so, isn't that such a blessing? It says, none of his sins that he committed shall be mentioned unto him again. Praise God. That's what the blood of Jesus does for us. That they're under his blood. And then he goes on to say that the people in verse 17, you know, they still say God is not just. But it's the people that aren't just and God comes back and he says when the righteous turneth from his righteousness and committeth iniquity he shall even die thereby and that's true today if a person is righteous most of their life and in the end they return they turn to iniquity they shall perish Notice how God is fair and how he is equal. And he kind of recaps that again. In verse 18, he's talking about the wicked, or he's talking about the righteous turning from his righteousness. And then in verse 19, he's talking about the wicked turning from the wickedness and doing that which is lawful and right. He shall live thereby. So now I want to take a look. Uh, Earlier I'd mentioned J.C. Wanger's uh, kind of analysis of how sin works. And so I'd like to look at uh, those uh, four areas. And sin can manifest its way in these four areas. And let's look at them in the order that that they, they can happen to us. First is our thoughts. You see, when when we get that evil thought in our thoughts, that is the time to stop it. That's the time to take care of it. If we don't stop it, if we let the thought of lust, temptations, and desires, if we let them in our thoughts, guess what? It's going to transfer over to our attitude. It's going to have an impact on our attitude It's going to become a part of our attitude. And if we still don't get rid of it, guess what? It's going to turn into our deeds. It's going to affect how we live and what we do. And you know what happens to deeds? If we do something for so long a time, it becomes our character. So let's look at these four areas. Uh, Briefly Okay what are thoughts A definition I found was It's the reasoning of the mind Okay A thought is the reasoning of the mind And the devil just loves to help us reason Through temptation in certain areas And in Chronicles 28.9 God says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know that the God of thy father, serve him serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understandeth all imaginations of thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee, but if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. And so God... According to this verse, you know, understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. And so we can pray to God to guard our minds and to help us that when any evil thought comes there, that we can take care of it and put it out of our mind. Pray, God, for that protection. Because if we don't, then it becomes part of an attitude. And so, the definition I have for attitude is a state of mind towards something. An attitude is our state of mind towards something. So, what is our state of mind toward the Lord Jesus Christ? You could turn with me for a couple of verses from John 14. John 14, <clears throat> what is our attitude toward Christ? And so this verse simply says, remember we talked about if our love is perfect but toward God, that keeps us out of sin. And so verse 15 of 14 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 23 says in the same chapter, John 14 John G- Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my commandments. My Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Can, did you catch that? He will make our abode. It's talking about Jesus and the Father. They're going to make our abode with the person that... <clears throat> Keeps the commandments. And so if they make their abode with us, what's going to happen when thoughts come that we shouldn't have? They won't stick. Right? They won't become part of the attitude. Well, let's look at another angle of attitudes from 2 Timothy 2:4. 2 Timothy 2.4 says No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And so our attitude toward the world is to make sure that we don't get entangled with the affairs of the world because it will affect our attitude. Now let's go into deeds. And deeds, the definition I have for deeds are simply things that are done in the body. Okay? So that's, that's actions and, and, and things that we do in the body. And Jesus, being our perfect example... Let me read what it says about Jesus, about his deeds. Uh, if you want to turn to uh, Luke 24, verse 19. Luke 24, 19, it says, Unto them what things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. See, his deeds were, were, were known. And what kind of, of deeds did, did Moses do? It's interesting what it says in Acts 7.22. Acts 7.22 says, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of Egypt and was mighty in words and deeds. Now, think about that. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of Egypt. In other words, he had the worldly education, he he knew the worldly wisdom. But as you know from Scripture, he forsook that and served God. And we have it recorded that he was mighty in words and deeds. Our deeds uh, come, become out of, well, let me back up. Our thoughts become attitudes. Our attitudes become deeds. Romans 2, 6 says, A God will render to every man according to his deeds. It, it's that simple. Whatever our deeds is, God is fair, God is just. And you know, some people will say, all all, all you need is just, if your heart's right, that's all you need, okay? If your heart's right, that's what counts, that's what's the most important. But this scripture says, we're going to be judged according to our deeds. And of course, if our heart's right, our deeds are going to be right. All right, let's look at the last one, uh, character. And what is character? It's one's total personality, according to the definition I had. One's total personality. Not part of it, but total. What's your total personality? Now, in in Paul in the New Testament, now this is the character of an ungodly person He says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. His character was manifest. It was known that he loved this present world, and that's why he forsook God. Did you know that the Bible talks about the character of children? In Proverbs, we have this familiar verse. Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure or whether it be right. You know, children have, have their characters. Now, the character of God's people, a verse from John ten twenty-seven: My sheep shall hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. See, that's a character trait that God's people follow Jesus' voice. <clears throat> Also, 2 Peter 2 9 says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Why are they God that that's their character? God knows their character. Other people know their character. And it says God knows how to deliver them out of temptation, and God also knows how to reserve the unjust for the day of judgment to be punished. See, that's character. And God is looking for these kind of people with this character trait. In Titus 2, 14, it says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people that are zealous unto good works. That's the character trait. They're zealous unto good works. Now, do you think somebody that is zealous unto good works is going to be marginal or shady or lackadaisical. It says they're zealous unto good works. Also I, I uh, <clears throat> saw a statement in that book that this is maybe a more positive approach now. God wants man to live with a face continually toward him in love devotion and obedience. Can you just uh, uh, picture that person? That they have their face turned toward God continually. Okay? That means they're not getting distracted. They're not getting entangled with the world and lusts and temptations. But they're, they're, they're continually toward turned toward God with love, devotion, and obedience. And notice the order. The person's faith is... Face is turned toward God, and that's a positive way of peace and harmony. And so that implies that they're not getting sidetracked with dress. Let, let me hurry on here. So let's look at love. What is love? This is more of a positive. Let's look at love, devotion, and obedience. And I think that's a proper order. Like we looked at attitudes, I mean, at, at deeds, attitudes, and so on now on the, on the positive side let's look at love devotion and obedience devotions is reverent affection due to god from his children and that's why that jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the lord your god with all your heart and mind and your neighbor as yourself you know if we live out those verses We will be strong, and sin cannot get a foothold, and we will not do evil to our neighbors. The second one is devotion. So profound dedication is a description I found for devotions. And 1 Corinthians 6 talks about that you were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. Proverbs 3 talks about honoring God with our substance, our wealth. 1 Thessalonians 2:12 talks about walking worthy of God. He called you to his kingdom. Then thirdly is obedience. And a, and the definition I have for obedience is submission of the will to another. And there's where we get hung up a lot of times. We we don't want to quite submit to the will of God. And Romans 6, 7 says, Obey from the heart. And 1 Peter 1 talks about purifying your souls. The act of obeying, it purifies your souls. So let me draw this to a close. In conclusion... I read this quote. It said, Christians are not saved by the quality of their faith, by the perfection of their life, or by the degree their perfection resembles Jesus Christ. Salvation is a matter which is, achieved, is not achieved by merit, but it is the gift of God. So search your heart and make sure Your life is in order to receive the gift of salvation.